knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been looking at the section in our outline titled Duty, and in this section we have Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency demonstrated in six very important ways. And so far we've looked at Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency demonstrated in our own personal lives uh, and also demonstrated in our fellowship with other believers. And this morning we're going to start looking at one of the most important areas that Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency should be demonstrated through us, and that is in the relationships that we have with family. And so in these verses, Paul's going to challenge us in two of the most important relationships that exist. That's the relationship between a husband and a wife and a relationship between a parent and a child. And both of these are very significant, very important, and Paul shares some foundational truths that will really bless both those relationships. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing on what he starts with, which is the relationship between a husband and a wife and the challenge that he gives. And then next week, we'll focus on what he says about the relationship between a parent uh, and a child and how each should uh, treat one another. Now, before we get into what Paul challenges us with regard to this relationship between a husband and a wife, I want to give some encouragement to those of you who are already married and for those of you who are single and uh, want to be married one day. Uh, for those of you who are married, I'm sure for many of you, what we're going to look at this morning is not something new. Uh, I'm sure that maybe you've sat through a marriage conference or you've heard these verses taught or you read them uh, many times yourselves, but something that I think is important with anything in scripture that is very important for us to be doing in our life is it's great to be reminded. And so as we get reminded of these things that maybe perhaps we're already familiar with, I just want to challenge you to really examine how you're doing in that area. You know, even as I studied this and prepared for this message, and every time I come across the role of a husband, I'm always challenged with, you know, am I really doing what God is telling me to do? You know, how am I doing in this area? And so you might know what you're supposed to be doing, but I really just want you as we go through this just to examine how am I doing? What can I change? How can I do this better? And so don't just kind of tune out and say, well, I've heard this before. Instead, recognize it's good to be reminded of these things and really see what you're doing within the role that God has for you. Now, for those of you who are single, I want you to realize that when the Bible speaks about marriage and these roles and how you should live them out, that's not just for married people. I know that when I was single and a pastor would, you know, go into a, a text like we're going to look at this morning, I would just tune out. Well, well, that's not for me because that's not the stage of life that I'm in. And so I don't really need to hear this stuff, but that's not true. 
You know, if you're single, I think there's really three important things that you can take from any passage that deals with marriage. And the first thing that I think is the most important of all, especially if you want to be married, is that you can see the kind of husband or wife that God wants you to be, and you can start working on that right now. So, so as you look at this, as you see what God's requiring of a husband or see what God is requiring of a wife, that you look at that, you recognize that, and you start working towards that. Second, you can see the godly qualities that you should be looking for in a future spouse. I can guarantee you, you do not want to marry someone who's not willing to do this. Your marriage will be very, very difficult if you go and you choose to marry someone who's not willing to do what God says in the roles that he's placed within marriage. So, hey, this should help you look for the kind of person that God would want you to marry. And third, hey, you can learn what God says about marriage because the reality is we live in a world with a lot of messed up marriages. I guarantee you, you have family. I guarantee you, you have friends. I guarantee you, you have people, especially unbelievers, who are just struggling and believers who are struggling. And, and you can just have some wonderful insights of what God's word says just to bring encouragement. So if you're single this morning, this teaching on marriage is just as important for you. And one last thing to note before we jump into what Paul says here is this is not an exhaustive list. Paul's just going to give you know, a good challenge to a wife and a good challenge to a husband, but there's more in Scripture that speaks of both roles, and, and we're not going to do a full exhaustive study on marriage this morning. We're just going to look at what Paul has to say here. Uh, but what he does give us is, are some of the most important things. And so if you'll do this... I guarantee it will bless your marriage in an amazing way. So let's see what Paul has to say here about marriage and what we can learn from it. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. So as you can see, this is not some huge statement, some long stuff, but what Paul says is very profound and important. And let's start with what he starts with, wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This Greek word here translated submit means to be under rank, to submit to one's authority, to subject yourself to another, to obey. This Greek word, the most common uses of it was in the military. It was a military term. In the military, you have different ranks. And if you're under someone of a higher rank, then you are required to submit to them because they have a rank that is higher than yourself. Now, in a non-military sense, they would use this word as a voluntary submission. So you would voluntarily put yourself with your attitude and your action under someone that has authority over you. And so since marriage is not a military thing, this is more speaking about um, a voluntarily putting yourself under rank to the person that God has put over you in marriage. Curtis Vaughn wrote this about this Greek word translated submit. The form of the verb shows that the submission is to be voluntarily. The wife's submission is never to be forced on her by a demanding husband. It is the difference that a loving wife, conscious that her home, just as any other institution, must have a head, gladly shows. 
Now, in our culture today, submission is seen as something that is very negative. You know, for some people, it's more of a four-letter word, even though it's not four letters, but they, they view it that way. It's something that is, is even spoken of that way by many people. And one of the main reasons that submission is seen this way is because oftentimes when, when people think of submission, they think that it's declaring something. They think that it's declaring that if you are in the submissive role, then that we're saying that you are less than, that you are inferior to the person that you are in submission to. Well, let me make something very clear. That is not the biblical understanding of submission. That, that might be true in our culture in some areas. That might be true in some relationships. That might be true in the way in some people view this word. But when it comes to the biblical idea of submission, it is not stating that someone else is inferior or less than you because they're in a role of submission to you. So it has nothing to do with the other person being smarter. It has nothing to do with the other person being better, more talented. And that's why we have to submit to them because they're kind of in this place of, well, they're just better than I am. They're smarter than I am. They're more gifted than I am. No, that is not it at all. Submission has to do with roles of authority that God has established. Now, remember I said that this Greek word, the contents in which it was most commonly used was in the military. And in the military, a private who's kind of at the lowest of ranks, he can be smarter, he can be more talented, he could be a better person than a general who's at the highest of ranks. But he's still under rank. He still must submit to the general, not because the general's superior, not because the general's better, not because the general's a better person or, or any of those things. It's ultimately because of the rank that is there and he must place himself under that rank. So biblical submission has nothing to do with being less than or inferior to someone else and everything to do with just the roles that God has established, the roles of authority. You know, the greatest example of a submissive relationship is Jesus's relationship, the son's relationship to God the Father. You know, when you look at submission, you want to say, well, I just want to see a, a perfect example of that. Well, look to the Godhead. Look to the father-son relationship because Jesus was in complete submission to the father. Every time you see him speak about that relationship through the gospels, it's always speaking of God as the authority. Probably one of the great pictures is there in the garden of Gethsemane. If there's any other way, you know, let this pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to be in complete submission to the authority and decision that you make. Now, when we look at Jesus and the relationship he has with the Father and view it in the, the lens that this world would say of, oh, submission's horrible. Submission's, you know, Jesus in that submission, he's just so bad. No, it's a beautiful thing. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus is completely equal to the Father. So just because he's in that submissive role doesn't mean he's less than. It doesn't mean that the Father's greater than. They're equal. They're one. They're equal. And I think that's something that we need to understand when we look at biblical submission is it is not in any way, shape, or form trying to say that one person is less than the other. And God, not only does he value it greatly, but he demonstrates how important it is to himself because within the Trinity itself, we have this wonderful role of submission. Kent Hughes wrote this, Orthodox teaching 
that the Son is simultaneously equal to the Father and submissive to Him. Likewise, equality and submissiveness can coexist in human relationships, including the marriage relationship. So when God commands a wife to submit to her husband, He's not saying, hey wife, you're less than, you're inferior to this man that you're married to, and that's why you must submit to him. No, that's not it at all. He's asking you to submit to him because God has given this role of authority in the relationship, this role of headship in the relationship to the man, and he's asking the wife to place herself under that God-given role. God sees submission as a wonderful thing, and hopefully we can see it as a wonderful thing as well if we see it from a biblical perspective and not the way the world sees it. Now, there are three important questions that I think need to be answered when you talk about a wife and submission, because you know I think especially within the church, there's, there's a lot of different ideas that have come from this that really just aren't biblical. And so I want to answer three important questions as we look at this. First, who are wives supposed to submit to? Second, how are wives supposed to submit? And third, what reason is there for a wife to submit? So let's start with the first question, one that's probably the most uh, confused for many believers. Who are wives supposed to submit to? Notice we're told in verse 18, wives submit to your own husbands. The statement your own husband defines the sphere of the wife's submission. So notice what God is not saying. He's saying, wives submit to your own husbands, not to men in general. And this is where a lot of men, especially, who have looked at the Word of God, who have kind of taken an interpretation that says, hey, God is teaching that all women should submit to all men. But that is not something that we see taught in Scripture. Nowhere do we see God commanding that at all. There's no commandment for women to give complete submission to all men. The sphere of submission is only in two areas, in the home and in the church. In the home, a wife's submission is to her own husband, and I would even go as far as to say a daughter's submission is to her own father, because that is the role of authority that she has in her life. And within the church, God has established male leadership and so there should be a submission of women to the men in the leadership of the church in that regard. But God has not commanded in His Word that men have exclusive authority in the area of politics, in the area of education, in the area of business, and the list goes on and on. It's in the home and in the church. So the first important question that needs to be answered with regards to wives and submission is, who are they supposed to submit to? Their own husbands, <laughs> not to men in general, that man that you said I do to, the man that you wanted to give your life to for the spend the rest of your life till death do you part, that's the one that God is saying, I want you to submit yourself to. So the second important question that needs to be answered with regard to wives and submission is how are wives to submit to their husbands? Notice in verse 18, we're also told, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, before we look at what this phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, actually means and what it's saying, I want to throw out two things that it's not saying. 
two, there's really kind of two interpretations that are out there. One that really benefits or, you know, the, the husband's side and, and one that benefits the, the wife's side and that are favorable in each one. And they're both wrong and they're both very common in the church world today. The interpretation that favors the husband says, as is fitting to the Lord means that the wife should submit to her husband as if he were God himself. The idea is you submit to God in absolutely everything in your life and you submit, you should submit to your husband in that same absolute complete way. You know, I'm sure some of you know husbands who feel this way. They believe that their wife should submit to them without question as if they were God themselves. Now you can see why this would appeal to some men who have a power trip. You can see how why this would appeal to some guys who just kind of want to be treated like God. But this kind of thinking says, as is fitting in the Lord, defines the extent of submission, and this is wrong. Now, it's true that a wife owes her husband a great deal of respect and submission, as we'll see, but the Bible does not say you completely submit to God, and therefore you should completely submit to your husband in the same way. Actually, there's nowhere in Scripture where God ever tells someone to submit to another person like they submit to God. That would be idolatry, actually. There's no unqualified, without exception, submission except to God and God alone. That's the only person that we're commanded to submit to in every possible way. Well, why? Because God's the only one who's perfect. And God's the only one who would never ask us to do something that was sinful or wrong. But within relationships with other people whether it be to the government, whether it be to your spouse, whether it be to whatever it may be, they're sinful people. And sinful people will often ask you to do something that is sinful. And so there are uh, exceptions to the command for a wife to submit to her own husband. And the most important one is if her husband asks her to sin. (laughs) If your husband's asking you to cheat on your taxes, to lie, to steal, to, to do anything that is not biblically right... You shouldn't obey that. You shouldn't submit to that. Because here's the thing that we need to understand. There's a relationship that's far more important for each one of us. And that is our relationship with God, our submission to God. That supersedes every other relationship. And so as you, your husband says, hey, I want you to do this sinful thing. You say, well, I can't because there's a relationship that's even more vital than my relationship with you. That's my relationship with God. And he says it's sinful. And so in my submission to him, I can't submit to you. Because if I submit to you, I'd be breaking God's command. If I submit to what you say, I'd be committing sin. And so there's not this absolute um requirement of God to say, hey, you got to do everything that your husband would want, just like you got to do everything that God would want. The Bible doesn't teach that. So as is fitting in the Lord does not mean a wife should submit to her husband as if he were God himself. She should not view her husband as God in that regard and completely submit to him like he is God. That is an unbiblical view of what this phrase means. Now, The interpretation that favors the wife says, as is fitting in the Lord means, I'll submit to my husband as long as he does what I think the Lord would want him to do. And then it's the wife's job to decide what the Lord wants. This isn't speaking about what is biblically clear, what the Bible clearly reveals, and she's saying, see, it's it's here, you shouldn't do it. No, this is speaking about a woman who just basically says, hey, you know, I just want him to do what I want. 
I just want him to follow the ways of what I want to do. And this is also a wrong view of this phrase. Now, it's true, as I just mentioned, there are limits to a wife's submission, but those limits should be based clearly on what God's Word says. Not your own feelings, not you know your own thoughts, not your own desires. It should come back to God's Word where there's a clear, hey, he's telling me to do something that God doesn't want. When a wife approaches as is fitting in the Lord in this way, it really degenerates into a case of I'll submit to my husband when I agree with him. I'll submit to him when he makes decisions that I want him to. But when he doesn't, <laughs> I won't. Now, I'm sure that many of you, just like you maybe knew husbands in that other role, have seen wives who view submission in this way. They only submit to their husband when they agree with him. And let me make something very clear. That's not submission at all. It doesn't take any bit of submission to submit to someone you agree with. I don't care what relationship it is. All of us have no problem submitting to someone because it's not submission. I'm just doing what I want to do. If he asks me to do what I already want him to do, that doesn't take any. It's not a test. It's not a challenge. True submission is like, I'm willing to submit when it's hard, when that's not what I want. That's why in areas where God asks us to do something difficult, like love your enemies, I don't want to submit to that God. But we should anyway. As is fitting in the Lord does not define the extent of a wife's submission. It also doesn't limit the wife's submission. So what does it define? What does it mean? Well, it defines the motive. It's not the extent. It's not the limit. It's the motive of the submission that the wife should give. It means wives submit to your own husband because it's part of your duty to the Lord, because it's an expression of your submission to him, simply because it's fitting in the Lord to do it. So you're not submitting only for your husband. Really, it's for a bigger reason than that. You're submitting primarily because of the Lord, because he's told you to. And as I mentioned, that other relationship that's more vital well, if you're not submitting to your husband like you should, guess what? You're also not submitting to God like you should because he's the one who's commanded you to do it. So you want to do it because it honors God. It honors the authority that he's placed over you. So the main thing that should motivate a wife to submit to her husband is because she wants to be obedient to God. She wants to do what God has commanded her to do. So as is fitting in the Lord isn't how much a wife should submit or how little it's what motivates her to submit. You see, it all comes back. Every relationship that we look at, everything in Scripture that we kind of see the roles that God has given, it comes back to our relationship with God. That's really what should motivate. That's really what should give us the reason for why we're doing what we do. And we'll look at the role of a husband. It's the same thing. The role of the wife is the same thing. Well, why should I do it? Well, the ultimate reason why is nothing to do with my spouse. Not how great they are, how bad they are, that's irrelevant. What it ultimately has to do is I want to obey Jesus Christ. And in my obedience to Him, I'm going to do this. And even if I have a really bad spouse, a really difficult spouse, that doesn't give me, well, I don't have to do it because you don't understand how horrible they are. No, I don't do it because of them. I do it because of Jesus. I do it because of what He has called me to do. And so here's something that's important for wives and husbands. I'll focus on the wife now. I'll do the same thing with the husband. But guess what? Your lack of submission to your husband is a lack of submission to God. And so what it really brings out 
is you got an issue with your relationship with Jesus. If you're unwilling to submit to your husband, it reveals a problem in your relationship with God. So you're not just failing as a wife. You're failing as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes we want to disconnect the two. Oh, I'm doing great with my relationship with Jesus. I'm just not doing great with my relationship with my husband. Well, that doesn't work that way. If you won't do what God says to your husband, guess what? you got problems in your relationship with him because he's the one who commands you to do it. Tony Evans wrote this about a wife's submission to her husband. I want to clarify right away that this command does not address a woman's intrinsic worth as a person and a child of God. A wife is equal in value to her husband. Peter said the wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. A wife's submission has to do with function, not value. Just as Jesus Christ is functionally subordinate to the Father, yet equal with the Father, so a wife is functionally subordinate to her husband, yet equal to him. It is fitting in the Lord that a wife should defer to her husband's authority. The idea is that it's proper and becoming for a wife to conduct herself this way because this is what God asks of her and what exalts Christ in her life and in the home. A wife who separates her relationship with her husband from her relationship with Christ will not relate to her husband properly. She will resist and rebel against his God-given authority and thus separate herself from God's hand on her life. This is something that we need to recognize. We can't kind of separate these two. They go hand in hand. Our relationship with God has a direct impact to our relationship with everyone else. And sometimes it's like, I just want to just do well with God. Who cares how all my other relationships go? Well, it doesn't work that way because if I'm not obeying God in my other relationships, it shows that I'm not obeying God. (laughs) And I got a problem in my relationship with God. Now, for you single girls who want to be married one day, One of the best things you can start doing right now, if you want to prepare yourself to be a godly wife, start being a woman who can submit herself to the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you to be more submissive and obedient to Him. Because the reality is, the more submissive you are to God, the more it's going to benefit and bless your future marriage. But the opposite is also true. If you're single and you really struggle submitting to God who's perfect, to God who loves you unconditionally, to God who will never do anything to hurt you, you're going to really struggle to be married with a man who's not perfect, to a man who won't love you all the time, to a man who will hurt you. If you can't submit to a perfect God, there's no way you're going to be able to submit to an imperfect husband. So I really encourage you, this is a time to to build that submission to the Lord to help prepare you for a future submission that's far more difficult than that. If you're a single woman, make that submission to God a priority in your life. And you know what? Whether you end up getting married or not, it's going to bless you. Submission to God is something that's just going to enhance your relationship with Him and bless your life. And so there's no loss in doing that. Another thing for you single girls, if this is, um, this should be what greatly influences what you're looking for in a husband. Because this submission is what God requires of you in marriage. God's going to expect you to submit to a man, so you better choose wisely. It's not like, well, God don't have to, God, because he's a jerk. No, there's no get out of clause for that. God, you don't realize he's just not loving me right now, so what? You still have to submit to him. And this is why you need to realize I shouldn't just be looking for an attractive man or a wealthy man or a romantic man. First, I should be focusing on a godly man, one that I can respect and submit to. Now, for you single guys who want to be married one day, 
One of the biggest things you should be looking for is a woman who submits to the Lord. I would say more important than how they look, how smart they are, what their personality is like, find someone who submits to Jesus, who obeys Him. I know several men that have very beautiful wives, but their wives don't submit to them, and they don't submit to God, and their marriage is horrible. And a few of them have said, you know, I wish I would have chose based on something different than just outward beauty. Yeah, I got a beautiful wife, but my marriage is horrible because she's not submissive to the Lord, and neither is she submissive to me. You know, one of the biggest things I was looking for in a wife was someone who submitted to Jesus. And I found that in Jenny. She does a great job in submitting to to me in our relationship, but that's ultimately because she's very submissive to the Lord. If she wasn't submissive to the Lord, she wouldn't be to me either. So the first important question that needs to be answered with regard to wives and submission is who are wives to be submissive to? Their own husbands, not men in general. The second question, how are wives to submit to their husband? The answer, they should do it for the Lord as is fitting to him. He's the motive. He's the reason. And the third question that needs to be answered is what reason is there for a wife to submit to her husband? And we get a really great practical one in Ephesians 5, 23 and 24. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now notice the reason here for why a wife should submit to her own husband is because the husband is the head of the wife. The Greek word here translated head means to be the one in authority to have headship. Now, something very important to note here is who is the one giving the husband this headship? Who is the one giving the husband this authority? And it's not the husband. It's not the husband who's saying, who's demanding of that, who's, who's saying, no, I am the head here. I am the authority in this relationship. No, this is something that is God-ordained. This is something that is God-established, God-given. And this is so important because sometimes there's this battle of how dare you demand this role? I want this role. It's not that the man is, maybe some men are demanding it that they, in a way that they shouldn't be, but ultimately they're in this role. Why? Because God has placed them there. Some of them don't even want it. And that's another problem in itself. But, you know, they've been given it by God. And so to resist or rebel is not just rebelling against your husband. You're rebelling against what God has established. And that's never wise. And anything that we do, we never want to uh, rebel against what God has established, what God has set in place that ends poorly. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, and including pastors sometimes, that the, the husband is the head, but the wife is the neck, and she moves the head wherever she wants. Now, that might be a humorous statement, and sadly, it might be actually true in some marriages, but let me make clear, it's not biblical. That's not the, what the Bible teaches at all. When a wife tries to move the husband where she wants, it's not submission. Notice we're given a very important comparison. The comparison is between the husband being the head of the wife and Christ being the head of the church. Christ is the head. He's the authority of the church. Verse 24 tells us that the church is subject to Christ. This word translated subject is the same Greek word that's translated submit. That military term, to put yourself under rank. So the church is to submit to the authority of Christ. 
Now, we got lots of reasons that we could say, well, he loves us, he did this, that, and the next thing, but ultimately we should do it because God's the one who's placed Christ in the authority over us and says, submit to him. And in the same way, a wife should submit to her husband. Why? Because God has placed the husband in that headship and authority position. Now, I know there are some objections to the husband's headship and authority because of how husbands abuse that role. And I'm going to address some of that when we get to the the husband role. But what I want you as ladies to understand is it's a God-given, a God-established role. Don't fight against it. Because ultimately you're fighting against God when you do that. So the first question, who are wives to submit to? Their own husbands, not men in general. Second, how are wives to submit? Hey, they do it for the Lord, as is fitting to Him. And third, what's a reason? Well, the reason is because God's placed the husband in that role of headship and authority, and you should do it in obedience to the Lord. So that's what Paul starts with, this command for wives to submit to their own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And now he gives a command to husbands in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Paul gives two commands to the husband. The first one is to love his wife. And the second one is uh, from the negative perspective, do not be bitter towards your wife. Now, one of the biggest reasons why wives do not want to submit to their husbands is because they think their husband is going to take advantage of that submission. And I want you to note something here. What God commands of a husband safeguards the wife's role. Oh, I don't want to be in this role of submission because I'll be taken advantage of. Not if the husband's loving you like he should. It's a safeguard. God says, here, I'm going to give him a role that's going to protect your role of submission. Now, I think many husbands think they know that they should love their wife, but the problem that they have is they want to define what that love looks like. And for many of them, it's just like, well, I need to be a little more kind or a little nicer than I am. And and for many marriages, that would be an improvement. But that is not the extent of what this word is saying to men. The Greek word translated love here is agape. It's the same word that we see connected with God's love for us. It's a unconditional love. It has little to do with emotion and much to do with self-denial for the sake of another person. It loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting a payment back to itself. It's a love that's so great that it can be given to the unlovable and unappealing. And it loves even when it's rejected. Now, how many of you ladies would like to be loved like that? How many of you ladies would say, hey, if I was loved like that it wouldn't be really that hard to submit to someone who had that kind of love and that kind of treatment and that kind of view of me. You know, the best demonstration of this love was by Jesus, who loved us so much that he gave us his own life. And we could look at a lot of different areas of of the way in which Jesus loved us. But you know, I I think there's a a great verse that I want to note in a moment. But first, note this. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So in Ephesians, there's a little clarity. Colossians, it says, love your wives. In Ephesians, it says, well, you don't get to define it for yourself. It's not how you feel you should love. Love your wife, just as Christ loved the church. That's the kind of love 
that you should be displaying to your wife. And, and let me read this description of Jesus' love for the church in Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8, And I think just a great challenge for us in that husband role of what God is calling us to do. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Notice what we're told here about Jesus' love for us and what it caused him to do for us, what it caused him to sacrifice for us. He loved us so much that he wasn't focused on himself, on his reputation. Instead, he was willing to become of no reputation. He loved us so much that he wasn't focused on being served, but instead he was willing to serve us. He loved us so much he didn't exalt himself, but instead he humbled himself. He loved us so much he didn't keep his life and focus on his life and what was best for his life. He was willing to give up his life for the sake of us. And that's the kind of love husbands are called to give their lives, wives. A love that serves. That I'm more concerned about serving them than they're concerned me. A love that's humble. A love that's willing to sacrifice. And ultimately a love that's saying, I'll lay down my life. And not just like, I'll push you out of the way if a car's coming and I'll take the, the hit for you, which yeah, you should do that as well, but like a daily sacrifice of, you know what, I'm here, I want to show you love, it's not all about me. I'll die to things in my own life for your benefit. Now some husbands might say, I thought God said I was the head of the home. Yeah, you are the head. I thought my wife was supposed to submit to me. She is supposed to submit to you. Then why do I have to lay down my life? Why do I have to sacrifice for her? Why do I have to humble myself and give away my high-minded reputation and be a servant? I thought I was in charge. A husband who thinks this way about headship, about authority, does not have a biblical understanding of what it is. That is a very worldly perspective of headship and authority. You see, worldly headship says, I'm your head, so you take your orders from me and do whatever I want. You have to submit to me, and so here are the things that I want you to do for me. Godly headship says, I'm your head. You must submit to me, so I am accountable before God. And because I'm accountable before God, I must love you. I must care for you. I must serve you. I must sacrifice for you. I must lay down my life for you. See, the difference is there's an accountability to the Lord which causes me to demonstrate love as opposed to, hey, I have this role and it's to get what I can get from you. I have this role so that you can serve me and do for me and get all these things for me. No, I have this role and I'm accountable to God and it's a huge responsibility and I need to live in a way that demonstrates this love, this care, this service, this sacrifice for my life. When a person understands godly headship, they don't see it as an opportunity to get what they want. They don't see it as an opportunity to command those under their headship. Ultimately, they see it as a responsibility to lead and serve the people under them in a loving, selfless, godly way. Warren Wearsby wrote this, Headship is not dictatorship or lordship. It is loving leadership. 
In fact, both the husband and the wife must be submitted to the Lord and to each other. It is a mutual respect under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. True spiritual submission is the secret of growth and fulfillment. When a Christian woman is submitted to the Lord and to her own husband, she experiences a release and fulfillment that she can have in no other way. This mutual love and submission creates an atmosphere of growth in the home that enables both the husband and the wife to become all that God wants them to be. Once again, let's go back to this comparison. This comparison that we see in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. We have the comparison of, of, of loving the wife as Christ loved the church. But I want you to think about the authority that Jesus has over the church and how He exercises that headship, how He exercises that authority. Does he do it like a tyrant? Does he do it to control us? No, he uses his headship and authority as a loving example to us. He sacrifices in that role. He cares for us in that role. He serves us in that role. You know, being the head of the home shouldn't be something that we get all prideful and arrogant over. It's a huge responsibility. As men, we should approach that with trepidation to recognize, man, God has given me this responsibility that's monstrous. And I'm going to stand before Him one day and I'm going to have to answer to Him for how I have treated those that He has placed under that authority. And He's asking us as men to treat our wives with love. Matthew Poole wrote this about agape love. Agape love is to sweeten on the one hand, the subjection of the wife, and to temper, on the other hand, the authority of the husband. I love that reality. I like how he brings this out. Because if we're loving our wives with this agape love, you know what it's going to do? It's going to help that submission. Oh, I want my wife to submit to me more. She doesn't submit to me like I should. Love her more. You want to change her? Love her. Because it's not that difficult for a woman to show submission to a man who's truly loving like God is called. The reason why there's a lot of lack of submission is often because there's a lot of lack of love. And so it motivates, it helps sweeten that, that, that role of submission, but also the love tempers the hand of authority of the husband. It helps him to see that, man, I don't have this role to abuse it. I don't have this role as a power trip to get what I want. I have this role to demonstrate the love of Jesus to my wife. But you know what? Just like with a wife, if a husband's not willing to do this, oh, I really love you, Jesus. I just don't love my wife. Well, guess what? There's two people you don't love. You don't love Jesus either. What are you talking about? What does Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And here's a big one, husband, if you're not keeping it, guess what you're showing? I don't love you, Jesus, in this way. And so to make this statement, oh, I really love Jesus and my relationship with him's great. I just don't love my wife. Those don't go hand in hand. You want to show Jesus love? Love your wife. He commands you to do it. In obedience to him, show that love. Hey, if you love me, keep my commandments. And here's one of the most important ones of all. Love your wife. My love for Jenny shouldn't be based on how lovable she is, how much she submitted to me, how respectful she is. It's ultimately, Lord, I do this in spite of her. 
Regardless of how she is, I do this unto you to obey you, to show you love because you've commanded me to do it. Those two things go hand in hand. So the second thing now that Paul commands husbands to do is do not be bitter to their wife. The Greek word here translated bitter means to embitter, to exasperate, to render angry, indignant, irritated, to grieve. This command helps the husband to see kind of the depth of the love he is to demonstrate to his wife. Because you know what? Usually bitterness comes because of poor behavior on the other side. Hey, love them and don't be embittered to them. Even if they're being unlovable, even if they're doing these different things that might you know, typically cause your flesh to, to get to this place of being angry and irritated and grieved, don't respond in an unloving way. Oh, I'm justified in responding in an unloving way because look at what my wife just said or look at what my wife just did. No, you're not. Do not be bitter to them. Agape loves even when there are obvious and glaring problems, even when the receiver of that love is unworthy, even when the receiver of that love is being very difficult. The motive behind a husband's love should be, I'm going to love her because God tells me to, not because she's deserving, not because of any other reason, but because God tells me to. Warren Wearsby wrote this, Husbands must be careful not to harbor ill will toward their wives because of something they did or did not do. A root of bitterness in a home can poison the marriage relationship and give Satan a foothold. The Christian husband and wife must be open and honest with each other and not hide their feelings or lie to one another. Speaking the truth in love is a good way to solve family differences. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath is a wise policy to follow if you want to have a happy home. A husband who truly loves his wife will not behave harshly or try to throw his weight around in the home. You know, one of the biggest reasons for bitterness to set in and stay in your life is just a lack of forgiveness. When you're unwilling to forgive, one of the results of that is bitterness in your life. Brian Campbell wrote a story that he experienced, I think, demonstrates a love that forgives in a great way. He wrote, friends of ours grew up in the church. They have a fine house. They got sweet kids, good jobs. But the wife has an emotional mental problem. She periodically steals from her own family and then gambles that money away. She's been to counselors, she's been to doctors and pastors, but nothing helps permanently. Imagine your own wife stealing from you, pawning objects of value, withdrawing money from bank accounts intentionally, denied her, and then lying about it for months. Every time she's stolen from her husband and ruined his future, he's forgiven her and taken her back. Even when she gave up on her own life and tried to kill herself, he refused to give up on her. I asked this husband once why he didn't end this marriage in spite of pressure from many friends and family to do so. His words were courageous and simple. She's a good mother most of the time and my children need her. But more than that, they need to know the love of their God. How can they know of a father in heaven who forgives them if their own father won't forgive their own mother? 
What a powerful story and a recognition from this man of realizing, yeah, she's not deserving. Yeah, she's done these horrible things. Yeah, she continues to do it. But man, my kids need to see that a father in heaven forgives and how much of a better way to show that than for me to demonstrate that to my wife, than for me to continue to forgive her, to love her so that they can see that reality. You know, there are many people today who really struggle with a loving father, with a forgiving father. Why? Because their father is absent or their father is the complete opposite of that. And how important for us men in the home to be those who are demonstrating godly qualities to our family so that they can grow and understand who God is in a much deeper way. Now, for you single guys who want to be married one day, One of the best things you can do to start preparing yourself for that is you need to grow in your love of God and your love of others, but it starts with your love for Him. But that should be your heart's desire. That should be your prayer. I want to deepen my love for Jesus because that is what's going to really enable and help me one day if I'm ever married to be a man who can love that person that I've said I do too. And for you single girls who want to be married one day, One of the things that you should be looking for is look for a man who loves Jesus. Look for a man who's obedient to Jesus. Far more important than how they look and how funny they are, how romantic they are, how smart they are, what their personality is like. Man, first and foremost, does this guy love Jesus? If the answer is no, forget about him. Who cares how handsome he is? Who cares about all these other things? If he doesn't love Jesus, your marriage is going to be horrible. If he doesn't love Jesus, you're going to have huge problems. Let that be the driving force of what you're looking for. It's not hard to submit to a man who who loves God and loves you like Christ loved the church. So choose wisely. Make sure you find that godly man. So when it comes to marriage, Paul's challenge to wives is submit to your own husband as is fitting to the Lord. His challenge to husbands is love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. For those of us who are married, if we'll put these things into practice, man, the blessing that comes, because God has ordained marriage, He's designed it, He's saying this is how it works. If you'll just follow my blueprint, marriage will be good. And if you don't, you're going to have problems. And for those of you who are single... This is what you should be looking for and preparing yourself for, recognizing this is what God is calling you to do, and this is what you should be looking for in your spouse. You know, one of the main things that Satan attacks, one of the main things he seeks to destroy, and sadly he's been very, very successful, especially here in America, is marriages. Because he realizes if I can destroy the marriage, I can destroy the home. If I destroy the home, I start to destroy the culture. And it has a huge impact on the church. It has a huge impact on everything. And we're seeing more and more marriages get destroyed. More and more uh, couples just fall into Satan's attacks. It's hard. It's a difficult thing. Even when you look at people who think, man, they got a great marriage. If you talk with them, they're not going to say, oh, it's so easy. It's hard to do these things. It's hard to love a wife like Christ loved the church. It's hard to submit to a man who is not perfect and has lots of issues. These aren't easy things. And this is why when Satan comes with his attacks, oftentimes he's successful. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a little bit of time to pray for marriages that are represented in our church. And, you know, if there's 
you know, marriages in general, if you want to do that as well. But let's just take some time just to lift up marriages, to pray for God's help personally for us to do what he's called us to do, but just recognizing that, you know, Satan is on the prowl. He wants to destroy, and we need God's help if we're going to do what he's called us to do. So let's just pray, and then I'll close this in prayer. If you want to pray, I encourage you to do that.